Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. Hey, everyone. We are here on our second part of our series about abortion, and Andy Curry Grubb is back with us again. So we are super excited. And in this series, we're going to talk about where are we now in abortion legalities, right? Mm -hmm. After uh, this week, we heard the Supreme Court's oral argument and all of that. So welcome back, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. So tell our listeners who haven't heard our first episode but need to go back and listen to it, tell us who you are. Sure. I'm Andy Curry-Grubb. I'm the state executive director for Planned Parenthood here in Nebraska. Uh, focusing a lot on our public affairs advocacy work, working with the legislature um, and the community of amazing supporters that we have to keep all of the rights of people. People. All people. (laughs) All All reproductive justice rights. Yeah. All of that all-encompassing umbrella. Exactly. Yes. Repro. I've heard that term. Repro rights. Reproductive yeah. rights. That's just short for reproductive. Right. Right. It sounds cool. It sounds cool. Repro rights. <laughs> You're right. Repro. Sounds so positive. It does. And it should be. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, the the term that um I heard this week was all the fuckery that's happening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ooh. In, you know, in the Supreme Court. And I think it's really interesting. Who was saying that? Oh, you know, Lisa Schultz. I was going to yeah. say that sounds like something Lisa Schultz yeah. would say. Yeah, all the fuckery. Um, so that I will give her a t-shirt. All, the, all the credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they're going to put it on a t-shirt, so we'll get it. Yeah, not cool. from Ray Ban, but Ray Gun or Women's <laughs> Fund store. So Susan's I just googled Googling. fuckery. <laughs> there's oh, is this, it a word? Yes. How s- is it just E R Y? Yeah. So there's this website called Wiktionary. The like Wikipedia, but it's wiki dictionary, wiktionary, but wiktionary, and then it says not wiktionary, wik. (laughs) Oh, okay, shonary. Um, it says that fuckery, um, is a vulgar slang word that means nonsense or bullshit or messing around. (laughs) I love that there's slang in the slang definition of the slang word. Oh, you mean that they're using the word slang to define a slang word? No, that they're using a slang word in the definition of a slang word. What was the slang word? Bullshit. Is that a slang word? Oh, it's a cuss word. Is Is it? it, Well, it's slang. I don't know. (laughs) Let's look it up. (laughs) Wiktionary. You should have a linguist on. So all the fuckery that's happening (laughs) um, and that happened this week. And I think, though, we can't forget Texas. No. We cannot. Because, you know, the United States Supreme Court's oral argument in the Mississippi case was pretty big, but this Texas thing also just happened. And there was also oral arguments there that sort of got swept under the rug. Yeah, a little bit. Um, So tell us about Texas first. Okay, so let's start with Texas. So Texas passed a law earlier this year um, banning abortion at six weeks, which is before most people know that they are pregnant. That's fuckery. Uh huh. Um, they. It's bullshit too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> both. Um, so they passed the law, and um, they weren't the first ones to pass a six-week ban. 
It had been done already in a couple other states. And we know this is problematic because our precedent in the United States Supreme Court says viability, viability, which is somewhere around 24 weeks, which is very different than six weeks. Right. And that's what we've been seeing for, you know, I would say the last five years or so. Uh, maybe not even quite that long, last four years or so, is states starting to introduce these extreme bans that they know are unconstitutional, but they want to get them in front of the Supreme Court in hopes of overturning Roe versus Wade. Is there a pride thing with different states? Like yeah. Texas wants to be the case, yes, right? And like, or Mississippi wants to be the case. Yes. So, of like, course. right now between Texas and Mississippi, they're like, ooh, I want you to, I want my case to be the precedent case, right? Yes, absolutely. Gross. Um, and that's where, like, Iowa was actually the first state to introduce a six-week ban, um, but it was challenged in state court instead of federal court, and it was found unconstitutional at the state court level, so it never got quite the play as some of the others because... Um, this is what I say to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They wanted it to go there, but it didn't. They, they really did want it to go there. Um, but and that's we such challenged an, it in state court instead of federal. And yeah. it worked. I mean, that's just such an interesting thing when you talk about like legal maneuvering, you know, oh, yes. um, you know, a, a case that obviously didn't work in Iowa, but then Texas. So, you know, why right. did it? Why did it? What's different? You know? Right. So it, usually it has to do with the state courts. You know, the, the Iowa Supreme Court was fairly, um, was not super conservative. So yeah. it, it was, and it also is based on how the law is written, of course. And, sure. And what it's, uh, you know, the approach to challenging it. Because right. in, in Iowa, we could challenge it in state court because the Iowa Constitution, um, you know, it, and the case actually reaffirmed the Iowa Constitution uh, has give, gives the right to abortion. So we were able; it was easier to yeah. to challenge it in state court. Whereas a state like Texas, their constitution definitely does not um, support the right to abortion. Right. So you can't really challenge it at that level. I want like I want to take ten seconds, maybe twelve seconds, to talk about like the the way a law becomes a law. Because I think, you know, sometimes listeners don't know that in Texas, the six-week ban was passed and was happening. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to the Supreme Court all the way through the court system and takes a while to get there, typically. Although Texas is a little different. Mississippi is that, exactly. That's what happened with Mississippi. It went through multiple other courts. I think the law was passed. I don't know. That might need to be Googled, Susan. um, She's on it. When the Mississippi, maybe four years ago, um, was when it was actually passed and it's worked its way through the court system. Every other court has has struck down the law because of all the precedent that says, um, you know, we have a right to abortion in the United States. So, so we go back to our like third grade government class. A bill becomes a law mm-hmm. and then it goes through the court system to decide whether it's constitutional. And so Correct. these these laws about abortion aren't just going to the Supreme Court to say, hey, Supreme Court, is this an OK law the way right. it's written? Right. 2018. It goes three. 2018. OK, 2018. Okay. So that's three years. Yeah. 
Okay, so Texas comes out with a six-week ban. Right, and this was just passed in 2021. Yes. This was just this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was challenged in court. But So what happened with the Texas law is they got all super creative and used this very bizarro enforcement me- mechanism oh. that had never been... The vigilante scheme. The vigilante, yes. the, the, you know... Report your neighbor. Report your neighbor. Um, which is like the movie Purge. Oh, haven't seen it. I know we talked about it in the, another episode. It sounds scary. Oh, you haven't seen it either? No. It may or may not be like the movie Purge, but. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Texas you can like snitch on anyone, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the Texas law is so the way that they wrote it is banning abortion after six weeks. Um, it went through all the state government process to make it a law but what the state says is but we're not enforcing it the, we the government Indivi- we the government aren't enforcing it we're going to let individuals enforce it we're going to make the law that says individuals get to enforce it but we don't have anything to do with this law and so and that was very unique and different than any other laws very unique different and very very purposeful um so I'd there's like to know like that conversation around the table when they're doing like brainstorming they're like how about this we call yes. it the vigilante yes. and someone's like yes and then they took it and ran with it right and and you know we can get into this more but so many people are saying okay we can use that for other laws too yes. like the slippery slope guns yeah and you know what do you what do you what do you like that we can take away from you? And, yeah. you know, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's really strange. It basically, the, the law says that um, anyone who aids and abets an abortion can be sued by any individual. They don't actually even have to be in the state of Texas, as we found with the first lawsuit that, that happened. Um, there, it, the provider was sued by two people and one was like in Indiana and one was in Chicago or something. I don't even remember. But neither of them were actually in the state of Texas. And they were helping a Texas resident? They were suing a Texas resident. Oh, right. Under the Texas law. Because guess what? If you're successful, you get a minimum of $10,000. Um, so you find some deep pockets and yeah. you sue. Well, but, and didn't the law not specify where that $10,000 was going to come from? So... That was a question for a long time okay. where the money would come from. There was a, initially there was a lot of thinking that it, the state would be paying that money, which was <laughs> weird, but it's not true. It's okay. actually whoever is sued. Okay. So, um, so like if they sued Planned Parenthood for aiding and abetting an abortion and they won, we would have to pay them $10,000. Gotcha. At least minimum. It could be So more. it's like Ten thousand is the floor. Yes, there's no ceiling. I'm guessing. I think there is. It's like a million dollars or something. Oh, like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Totally. I don't know that for sure. <laughs> but yeah. and this could be. They can even like sue the person who drives someone. Yes. To a clinic who may not even know. Yes. The only person involved that cannot be sued is the person that gets an abortion. Hmm. Anyone else involved? can be sued and I remember shortly after the Texas law came out um, Uber came out with a statement and said 
F you all. We're yeah. going to drive people wherever the fuck they want to go. Right. And we don't know what's happening where they go. So right. sue us, the, motherfuckers. Yeah, the, case, the case for yes. an Uber driver is pretty low. Is pretty hard to come up with because how would they know what they're driving someone to? But that has been used as an example in a lot of cases. Yes. Um, but yeah, again, the the point is essentially, again, they're just trying to prevent people from having abortions who want and need them. Right. So why was Texas different than in like the quickness that it yeah. got to the Supreme Court? So the Texas law was different because of that mechanism, that enforcement mechanism sitting with individuals instead of the state. So what they were saying is you you can't sue the state because we're not the ones enforcing it, even though they're the ones who put the law into effect to begin with, which is baffling to me from a legal perspective, but I'm not a lawyer. So, um, so that was their way of getting out of lawsuits was by putting it on individuals um and so and essentially it worked because what the courts did you know it was challenged right away and what the courts did essentially was just throw up their hands and be like we don't know what to do with this because the lower so weird yes the supreme court basically did too and now they heard it again because the supreme court had an opportunity to intervene the day before the law went into effect. Right. And that, at that time, they basically said, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with this. And so we're not. So doing they were silent. Anything. Yes. So then the law went into effect. So the law went into effect. And I think the day before the law went into effect, where the Supreme Court had the ability to ban the law and say, mm-hmm. no, 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 you can't do that. Right. Everyone sort of thought like, well, of course, the Supreme Court's going to say you can't do that. Which I don't know why anyone, any of us thought that. I mean, look who's on the Supreme Court right now. Right. So then the law goes into effect and there's immediately a six week ban in Texas. Yep. And that was when? September September 1st. 1st. Yeah. So then it gets to the Supreme Court recently in an oral argument. Yeah. So they that happen? So they, the original emergency request to the Supreme Court um that was the one they they basically just didn't make a ruling on uh they tried a different approach to the emergency um request that one was accepted that's when they heard the oral arguments on november 1st around around that law um also at the same time the the um u.s department of justice also sued the state of texas um for the law. So there was kind of different approaches that were tried, essentially. So Texas happens, and the ban is still in place now. Yes. In Texas. It's gone back and forth. Right. Um, there's been, I think there was a one or two injunctions that were granted, but they were pretty quickly overturned. Um, so there have been little pockets where it ha- has not been in effect. But one of the challenging parts of the law is that it can be retroactive. So if someone during that time of an injunction. Are you kidding? No, no. So during the injunction, when officially the law is not in effect, if someone uh, provides an abortion to a patient and then the law does end up ultimately going into effect, someone can retroactively sue that provider for the abortion they performed 
when the law was not in effect. I hadn't heard that. Wow. So really, so basically, then, it's just there's not been abortion because abortion providers right, probably right, aren't willing to right. take that risk during those injunctions. Right. So wow. far, there's one provider that has broken the law um, and and just this, d- done them. Yep. And. I mean, I think he only did one. And decided um, I'll just pay the 10000 if I need well, to. Well, I think in part it was because a lot of what had happened with the courts previously was that because the law had not actually been used yet. Legitimized. By someone actually breaking it and being sued, they said they couldn't rule on it because there was no one... The, sure. It hadn't been enforced. Yes. So they needed it to be enforced before they could actually rule on it. So there was one physician who kind of took the bait and, and good for him. I know. I agree. Um, and so that is a separate case now that's actually working its way. Oh, perfect. Through the courts. Yeah. So then we have. So there's we have no ruling on Texas. Correct. That they is heard the arguments on November 1st. Um, my understanding, and you lawyers can help me out with this, but my understanding is that, uh, with an emergency request like that, they, there's no time frame for when they have to rule on it. That's right. So they can rule on it right away. (laughs) Yeah. Or not. And usually they do. That's the whole point of an emergency emergency request. But the Supreme Court chose not to. The other interesting thing about the U.S. Supreme Court is people petition cases to the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, and they can say, we're not hearing your case. Um, so there have been other cases that potentially could come out with an abortion ban that have potentially been in front of the Supreme Court before. But it's like these people who want abortions banned, all abortions, they cherry pick and work the best case up so that mm-hmm. because... They don't want the Supreme Court to say no. Right. So because then, you know, that's a big loss for them. It's like 2% of cases that are petitioned to the Supreme Court get accepted. So when the Supreme Court accepted Dobbs, the Mississippi case, everyone was like, oh, fuck. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because prior to that, a lot of abortion related cases had been petitioned to the Supreme Court and had not been accepted because... We assume precedent. the Supreme Court was like, why right. would we? Because generally, anything? so what has happened with the Mississippi case is it has been blocked by all of the lower courts. So all of the lower courts have followed the 50 years of precedent set by Roe versus Wade, 30 years with Casey. Um, they struck down the Mississippi law because it was it banned abortion pre viability, which is not allowed under Roe versus Wade. And so normally with a case like that, if it's petitioned to the Supreme Court, they will say no because they agree with the lower court that their ruling based on precedent is correct. And so they wouldn't accept it. So that's what a lot of legal scholars think with this particular case is the reason they accepted it was specifically because they don't agree with the lower court's ruling. The Mississippi case. Correct. And the Mississippi case comes in and we hear that it's a 15-week ban. Yep. Which is seemingly quite different than the six-week ban. Right. But really, when we look at Roe, they're both the same. Right. Exactly. So um, so a 15-week ban is, you know, 
essentially nine weeks pre-viability. So over two months pre-viability. Fetuses cannot survive outside the womb 15 at 15 weeks no not at all yeah not at all um and so so essentially what this is doing is allowing for a pre-viability ban and if you allow for a 15-week pre-viability ban what's you know the thinking is then you would allow for a six-week pre-viability ban and or an all-out ban across the board and there's absolutely no nexus between 15 weeks six weeks and viability and those those amounts of time are completely arbitrary completely arbitrary 15 weeks is three weeks after the first trimester six weeks is who knows where they come up with this right and so when i think about it and i am no expert on the supreme court um i'm a member of the supreme court i know you've heard this story well, get out there and I mean, argue for abortion access. Just show up at the podium. I'd like you all to listen to me. I only became a member so I could see RBG in the flesh before she died. And I, it happened. It happened. Well, you know, I mean, I have like pictures of, yeah, in person. What, what's wrong with in the flesh? It's, it just sounded interesting. Oh, okay. The way you said in the flesh. So, um, but I, I mean, my my thought is they're going to wait, decide, use one of these cases, the Texas or the Mississippi case, make their decision. And if Roe falls, they're going to say it doesn't matter. Six weeks, 15 weeks, it doesn't matter. Roe's gone. Yeah. Because they already sort of made this decision of some alternative when they said Casey. Right, right. Um, and, and I think one of the things, you know, so, okay, so now let's talk about Mississippi, right? So the Mississippi case was heard on December 1st. Um, and I think everyone. Everything's on the first of the month. I know. I which makes know me think of the song. It's the first of the month. Is that Bone Thugs and Harmony? Yes, <laughs> it is. I've never heard of this. Oh my gosh, it's, me neither. It's yeah. from the 90s. It's from the 90s, oh, which hey, you write it's hey, coming back. Retro. It'll be right Are you back. Googling it? No. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm sure it's Bone Thugs and Harmony. <laughs> um, but I think we were all watching for the oral arguments. I think most abortion rights advocates think that they are going to use this case to overturn Roe or to significantly weaken it. Um, But I think we were all watching the oral arguments in hope that something might indicate otherwise. Um, I think folks were specifically watching for Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh to see what kind of questioning they would have, um, which is so scary to me that we were placing any hope whatsoever in justice Justice Brett Kavanaugh beer beer (laughs) yeah that's what I call him after his uh after his confirmation hearing I just call him justice beer yeah yeah only some people get it it is bone thugs and harmony by the way oh thank you of course yeah it's been confirmed (laughs) you all should listen to it yeah if you listen to xm like 90s rap it's on there oh that sounds good um (laughs) I like it. So Justice Beer yeah. and Justice Amy COVID Barrett. <laughs> Amy, every baby should be adopted, Barrett. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the I think the oral arguments were worse than 
we thought they would be. Um, Hasn't there been cases, though, where sometimes the Supreme Court is faced with a like a thing, like a kind of one of these political cases that's like, and they kind of punt it sometimes. I mean, maybe not on abortion, but in the like, people are like, oh, no one really won. I mean, and we know at least in 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 our experience doing other types of cases, judges can certainly do that if they sure. want to. They can like, well, we're going to just change this one little tiny thing or right. something like that. Right. Maybe they'll and take away all of the undue burden problems and just go straight back to row. Perfect. I can that's imagine what that's what I'm going to hope. That could that happen. Decision comes I mean, like, out. Like literally that could happen, but not very likely. Right. <laughs> and I think one, you know, one possibility based on, on, what uh, kind of Mississippi proposed in their briefs um, and then the line of questioning from Chief Justice Roberts is that they they could officially uphold the Mississippi law and make 15 weeks the new mm-hmm. time. Um, but then they have to say something about sense. viability being right. no longer right. the standard. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and then why fifteen instead of twelve or six right. or and how three or how does that right exactly because fifteen so doesn't really equate to anything it doesn't I mean I think the logic so fifteen weeks um, the, based on the Mississippi law it's actually thirteen weeks um, because it's fifteen weeks since the last menstrual period which is actually two weeks before you right. get pregnant so it's. 13 weeks is roughly around the end of the first trimester. So I, there, yeah, there's I mild logic there. But even the people that introduced the law did not use that logic. They said they didn't know why they came up with 15 I'm going to guess most was, of them don't have uteruses or periods. No, 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 no. And most <laughs> of them, based on conversations that I've had with state legislators don't even fully understand how pregnancy works (laughs) or periods or periods or any of it so yeah yeah okay so I think the one thing though that's really important to remember about the Mississippi law is that there's no exception for rape or incest right and is that something that we've seen historically in other cases and other bills um it's become more common so Texas, for example, there's no exception. exception. So so really, basically, what in Mississippi, what that means is um, if you get raped and become pregnant, you need to have your abortion before the 15-week ban. Right. And after that, too bad. Carry yes. the fetus to term. Right. Right. And, I mean, the reality is exceptions are not helpful. I mean... Not having exceptions is horrible, but having exceptions doesn't make it better. Um, Because the reality is, like, what would have to happen at that point is in order to get that exception, if there was a rape exception, you would have to go through the process of proving that that pregnancy was a result of rape. Uh, And get a conviction almost? In order to... Mm legally obtain an abortion after the which is I mean that's a horrible burden to put on someone who's just yes gone through something traumatic and that trauma is continuing because now there's a pregnancy involved so I mean 
there shouldn't have to be exceptions. Right. If someone needs, wants an abortion, they should be able to get it without having to explain to anyone why. Yes. Period. Right. Perfect. Thank you for explaining that because I think that's really helpful. Yeah. But it also I is mean, shitty. It's, it's really like horrifying that they wouldn't include an exception. But again, it doesn't make it, it better. Ma- it it, it, it almost one. makes it okay. Like makes right. rape and incest okay. Right. And if you yeah. if you ever do a little bit of research, like be ready to be absolutely horrified, but they have this line of logic that it will actually reduce rape no. and sexual assault. <sighs> I don't I can't even remember how they got there. If there's an abortion ban, there'll be less rape. Is that kind of what they're trying to say? I guess. <laughs> I don't, I can't, my brain Everyone in this room's face. Yeah. At all. But that was actually one of the governors, like. That's like the Nebraska governor. I know we said we weren't going to talk about. No, 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 the Texas governor. That was one of his talking points about why they didn't include that exception. Well, don't they say that if, if there is a death penalty, there'll be less violent crimes? Which is so not true. I mean, like the statistics prove like that. Yeah. States with the death penalty have just as much crime as states without it. Yes. Or so so if we okay, the other thing about Mississippi too, and if Roe falls, right, and right. that means Roe is overturned, there are some states that will immediately have an abortion ban. Correct. And that's called trigger laws. Yes. And thankfully, Nebraska doesn't have that. We do not. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> Some awesome strategic maneuvering. I think it, well, I think someone it also, was asleep at the wheel. So there's a couple <laughs> a couple of ways that trigger laws exist. One is that they were on the books pre Roe versus Wade, and they never took them off. And trigger law is just a generic law that says mm-hmm. if the mm-hmm. United States Supreme Court, I'm making this up, United States Supreme Court creates a law, then the state triggers immediate action. And yes, that is the case in some and others. It's that their constitution bans abortion Uh. and they can't enforce that now because at the federal level, abortion is protected. But if that went away, then the constitutional um, component would, would be enforceable. So if 12 states have automatic trigger laws for abortion. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. North Dakota and South Dakota are our closest neighbors. And then it says there's 21 additional states that are poised to have something similar. And that is where Nebraska usually comes in. Um, Nebraska is pretty regularly put on that list of Mm -hmm. states that are likely to ban abortion or try to ban abortion if it becomes illegal at the federal level. but but we have some good things yeah. about Nebraska and like what's happening right now. So if Roe falls, Roe's overturned, we don't have a trigger law, what will happen in Nebraska? So what would happen in Nebraska is abortion would remain legal um, and it would require an act of the state legislature to change that. Let's say that again. Abortion would remain legal. Abortion would remain Nebraska. legal Yay. no matter what happens with at Roe. the federal level. Yep. Because it's a, it's ultimately a state issue. That's why these are like 
Mississippi versus so-and-so, Texas versus so-and-so. Right. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, it will go back to the states. Yes. So it will either be banned, limited, or protected at the state level. And so when we talk about something that you can do, the first one really that's very important right now is calling your senator. Absolutely. Because that's what will happen in Nebraska is the senators in our lovely unicameral. Right. And that's what I want to talk about. Like Nebraska. So Nebraska gets lumped in with all these other, you know, seemingly red states, conservative states that are hostile to abortion. And on the surface, that is true of Nebraska. We have a governor and a lieutenant governor that are incredibly hostile to abortion. Extremist, I would say. You know, Governor Ricketts came out the day after the Texas law went into effect, congratulating them, basically, and saying he couldn't wait to do something similar in Nebraska. Um, So so we have a, a hostile administration. We have a majority conservative legislature that is is hostile to abortion rights. However, Nebraska differs significantly because we have a unicameral. We have 49 people that are making this decision as opposed to, you know, 150 plus in some other states. Um, We only have one body that makes these decisions, not two like all other states. And so um, and then the the big thing is we have a filibuster law, uh, you know, rule here in in the state legislature. So what that means essentially is that in order to pass a law, you have to overcome that filibuster and you need 33 votes to do that, which means we need 17 people to not vote with them in order to prevent that law from going to the floor for a vote. Um, And the last time, so the last abortion restriction that was introduced in the state legislature was in 2019, um, and it was it was to ban a method of abortion that is used commonly in the second trimester, uh, dilation and evacuation, and um, we lost that essentially by one vote. Sixteen people voted, uh, did not vote to to put that to the floor for a Mm -hmm. a vote basically um that compare that to 10 12 years ago when they passed the 20 week ban there were five people that voted against that at the state legislature wow and most recently we had 16 and there's been an election since then so contacting your senators and telling them that they should keep abortion legal in Nebraska is really, really important. Really, really important. And contact all of them if you want to. I mean, there, you know, there are some that are with us, and you said this on the last one, that we should be thanking them and yes. just letting them know that we support that decision fully and completely. Um, give them some love and let them know that that they're doing the right thing by supporting access to abortion. There are some that are on the fence, I think. Um, so the more they hear from from people in the state saying they want access to abortion to remain legal, that that genuinely has an opportunity to make a difference. Um, and even the ones we know are hostile, make sure they know that they don't they don't represent the views of everyone. So if the worst thing happens in Nebraska and Roe is overturned and Nebraska passes an abortion ban, why should we care? 
<laughs> I mean, you're preaching to the choir, but right? Oh like, why is gosh. it so? Why is it so important um, in Nebraska? Like, what is the ultimate result if Nebraskans don't have access to legal abortion? I think. I mean, there's so many different long-term ramifications of making abortion illegal again that I it's it's hard to even pick one. <laughs> um, and I think the other thing that's that makes this challenging is that we are all of a generation in this room that have never known anything other than legal access to abortion. We don't know what it looks like to not have that access. And so I think it's it's really hard for us to understand what that could actually mean. But one of the things, you know, this was brought up in the oral arguments at the Supreme Court the other day, the economic impacts of, uh, of people being able to make this choice for themselves is significant um you know allowing folks to to go to college potentially um or you know further their career in a way that that helps them um you know having access to abortion helps people do those things with their lives that lead to better outcomes for themselves and future families if if that's what they choose and the economy and the economy exactly that's the other thing is they they pointed to like the economist um submitted an amicus brief in in support of um isn't that crazy yeah jackson women's health organization that like an organization solely concerned with the health of our american economy Right. You know, it's talking it's about this health care yeah. decision issue. Well, in Nebraska, though, we have such terrible laws that support babies after they're born. Right. And families in poverty. And right. so we are not only saying you have to carry um, this pregnancy to term that you don't want to. You right. only we also have no parental leave. Right. right. So and you no got to go back to work. We yeah. ha- you have a very short term availability for Medicaid for the child once mm-hmm. it's born. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going to lose your job because now you're pregnant and you have no, par- you know, not enough parental leave. And right. daycare subsidies are right. just not. We also don't have pregnancy discrimination laws. So you can actually be fired for being pregnant in in certain cases. So exactly. And the reality is we need all of it, right? We need family paid family leave. We need access to childcare. We need better economic um, laws that support our citizens. And we need access to abortion. Like none of those should be mutually exclusive. It, it all of those things together are what contribute to you know, a vital society and, and community. Um, you know, and, what's really funny. All of those things support women. Hey, imagine that. Yeah. And, and equality. Yeah. And general equality. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's, you know, again, we just are so much more aware even now than we were years ago of how this impacts people who aren't women, you know, right. transgender men, non-binary folks, this impacts a lot of people who who need access to abortion and who need those same protections um, that allow them to be, you know, a, a full and complete part of our society right. the way they want to. And the thing I think we have to also mention is that when laws like this 
you know, banning abortion are put into effect, it doesn't necessarily impact people with privilege and means, right? Rich people are going to be able to access abortions no matter what. They can travel, they can you know, take time off work or whatever is is necessary to get the abortion that they want. The real impact lies on those in rural communities, people with lower incomes. It disproportionately impacts people of color. Um, The the impacts there are so significant that it it just... to me, it will drastically change the face of our society if if these laws are put into place. And I think that's really important. So I just want to like paint an example. So we have Texas's six week ban, and I'm not good at geography. We learned on that at, on the last episode, <laughs> but I do know that Galveston is like way down in the southern part of Texas. So let's say a poor person in Galveston and a rich person in Galveston, they both need an abortion mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. can't get one in mm-hmm. Texas. Well, the poor person in Galveston doesn't have the ability to travel anywhere and probably do some sort of 24-hour or 72-hour waiting period to get to wherever, right? Right. Omaha to get their abortion. The rich person's just going to take some time off work, take some PTO, fly there, get their abortion, come back, still have a job. There was pre-row, there were these like travel packages to the UK that were available to people seeking abortions. And it included like your airfare and your hotel and all of your meals. And, mm. you know, it was like a like a spa package to go get an abortion. And if you're rich, that's amazing. Right. <laughs> but that's not the reality for most people seeking abortions. So, yeah. Well, gonna- you have to have a passport even. Right, right. So when we talk about what are the things we can do, contacting your senators is really, really mm-hmm. important because mm-hmm. if Roe falls, Nebraska is not shit out of luck yet. Nope, not right? at all. So we not have work to do. We have a lot of work we to do. We can keep abortion safe and legal in Nebraska. We can. Because we also know, like, on that point, abortion, just if it's going to be um, banned in a state anywhere, it's still going to happen. It's just not going to be safe exactly. and legal anymore. Exactly. Um, and... And I think with that, too, we should also point out that, like, every organization in the country that supports or provides access to abortions is figuring out right now how to continue making abortions as accessible as possible to anyone, no matter where they live. So, you know, Texas right now, there there are some amazing abortion funds um, that folks can donate to that will help patients in in texas access abortion outside of the state um the transportation the child care the hotel etc um it it's still such a significant burden because of of all the other things involved but um there are ways to support those folks as best we can given these circumstances and speaking of support the other thing that we can do at this point is donate money. Yes. And tell us about the best places to donate that to Planned Parenthood. Yeah. So Planned Parenthood North Central States is the organization um, here in Nebraska that provides access to uh, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care and education, including abortion. Uh, we have clinics in Omaha and Lincoln. We also have Council Bluffs right over the border. Um and donating to Planned Parenthood North Central States helps make those services possible and accessible to people in our state. Um, the other organization that we have that's a subsidiary of, of 
Planned Parenthood North Central States is Planned Parenthood Advocates of Nebraska. Uh, this is a 501c4 organization. Um, so these donations are not tax deductible. I do want to make sure I point that out. Um, but these are the donations that can very directly support um, putting into office folks who support access to abortion um, and other sexual and reproductive health care rights uh, and, and really can help us work at the legislature to keep abortion legal in Nebraska. Awesome. Well, we will provide all the information and links to Great. all of that. Again, we'll put a list of how to find your senator, yep. where you live, um, all the list of other senators, yep. if you want to contact 40 now, 49, 49. Yep. Um, and then also some direct links to donate to both the Planned Parenthood North Central States and Absolutely. Planned Parenthood Advocates of Nebraska. The other thing that we can post on there too is um, we have like a social media toolkit that folks can use to um, share information and and just really raise their voice through social media um, to help spread the word about the impacts that this could have in Nebraska and what they can do to help. So we we can put that one in there too. Awesome, great! Thank you so much for joining us again on our podcast. Thank Um, you for having me. It was really helpful to have all of your insight, and um, we will be in close contact as we like watch the developments of the Supreme Court, and then all the work we have to do in Nebraska. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.